0: But the first time they'll hear your voice, Mm. I'm going to... Hello and welcome to Lecture in Progress. I'm your host, Will Hudson. Lecture in Progress is an educational resource to help the next generation of creators make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. We've launched the first version of the website alongside a Kickstarter campaign to get the project off the ground. There are some great rewards. Please do check them out at lectureinprogress.com. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do. From graphic designers and illustrators to photographers and filmmakers. This podcast series includes a number of conversations with creatives about how they got to where they are and how they've come to do what they do. My guest in this episode is designer, illustrator and writer Jez Burrows. And I started as always by asking them to describe what it is that they do.
1: I'm a designer and illustrator on
0: a team at Facebook called In Product Brand. In Product Brand, That's and that. I mean, you say that um, Facebook is obviously just a, a, a huge organisation. So, within the designers that work at Facebook, are there lots of teams? How big is the kind of team that you work in? How many people? Um, and how does how does your team kind of plug into the the right. great the the bigger landscape? So our team is about uh, eight believe eight or nine people yeah i think so
1: um and we are broadly a part of product design uh in that you know we have a very close working relationship with product designers who are building actual uh you know the site itself and the product itself um but we are developing a, an illustration style um that you'll actually see in product you know in your newsfeed and um and yeah we are developing that style and it's it's supposed to be a kind of uh the illustrative voice of facebook when it is addressing you um you know if it's wishing you happy birthday or it's you know it's telling you about like a like a cultural culturally significant event that is happening um you'll see you'll see this style and it's, it's relatively
0: in its infancy so it's still kind of being developed but and how terrifying know. is the scale at which the work that you're doing the the audience of that reaches i mean it's it's phenomenal isn't it the, it, the amount of people looking at the stuff that you're designing it's an impossibly high number
1: and it's It it is bigger than anything I had previously worked on and will definitely work on afterwards. So, yeah, it's the number you just sort of phase out and it's more you're aware of the kind of uh, the kinds of people that you're designing for. But
0: it's sort of all people. Yeah, well, it's funny you say um, about anywhere in the future. I don't know. I don't know necessarily where you could go. That you would end up doing work that reaches more people now. I don't. I don't think yeah. I know either. Let's then, yeah. not think. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm interested in kind of a typical day. Kind of is it spent on campus in front of a computer mm-hmm. working? How? What is a, a good day for you? A day that you really enjoy? How How do you spend it? Um, so we have a kind of stand up meeting
1: every morning, um, nine forty five, and we just sort of go through projects that are on the plate currently. Um, and, you know, on our team, there's a couple of illustrators, um, you know, photographer. Uh, we have a couple of cut paper artists, um, uh, creative director and then sort of design program manager, who's, you know, looking at scheduling and that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, various combinations of all of us will be on different projects. Um, and a day is usually kind of, you know, aiming for a deadline and delivering assets to what, whatever product team, uh, it is w- that we're working with that week. Um, so, you know, just recently we were working on, uh, working with a team that is very focused on birthdays. Um, birthdays is obviously like a, a, a huge um, a huge use, use case on, on Facebook and there are many different services that it touches. And, um, uh, you know, on, a, on an average day, we might be sort of uh, concepting new units that we're going to deliver or, um, you know, some of our the cut paper artists will be kind of working with to... Um, uh, you know, actually build out a set which will be then photographed and then go through post and uh, and then there's like a vector sort of like character illustration element that gets laid on top of that. So um, it's a lot of collaboration and, and passing work back and forth and then kind of um, lots of check-ins with the product team to just sort of be, you know, here's what we're looking at for like color and here's what we're looking at for... Um, you know these little uh, characters that we call the community like here's what they're
0: doing and here's what here's how they're like interacting with the objects and that kind of stuff and and to put it into context kind of you personally you're 30 31 i just turned 30 yeah just turned 30 yeah. happy birthday just thank you very much <laughs> uh, did you see your own work your if the happy birthday stuff on facebook were you greeted with something that you were responsible for um, <laughs> but you've been out there for uh, almost 5 years is yeah. that right it'll be 5 years in november yeah so then if we rewind Kind of pretty much all the way back. You Mm -hmm. grew up uh, in Devon. Is that right? Yeah. Were you kind of were you always creative kid? Kind of always sketching, drawing, or kind of what was your kind of upbringing and introduction to creative world? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the sort of cliche, isn't it? There was,
1: I was always had crayons, you know. Well, yeah, great. Everybody,
0: People don't I mean, talk about like, yeah, I was always doing math. Yeah, I was always. <laughs> yeah. I, was always I just, do, I just <laughs>
1: really loved trigonometry. You know, when I was from a young age, I just really liked angles. Uh, no, I mean, I, I was in. The, uh, I felt that I felt a sort of creative uh, urge there somewhere because it was mostly in contrast to, uh, you know, my my brothers aren't particularly sort of interested in that stuff and and my parents supported it but they you know it wasn't really in their background either so um I always enjoyed art subjects and English subjects and and uh you know foundation came along and then I suddenly realized that all these kind of disparate interests that I had um that I didn't know the names of did actually culminate in something and it was graphic design and um but then even at foundation graphic design it was a pretty rudimentary definition of it.
0: And Can you remember the kind of the kind of things um, you were doing or the 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 graphic designers that you were kind of were paving the way of going right this is graphic design. Here look at these people's work
1: at sort of foundation level. Uh, oh, jeez. I I got a feeling it was probably sort of Jason Munn. It was it was a lot of I feel like our uh, people who graduated uh, around my age were always a lot of us were really into sort of poster designers and and gig poster designers and there was a huge culture of that in America Um, and, you know, I was forever sort of looking up at them a bit doe-eyed and sort of, you know, aesthetic apparatus and and Jason Munn and Jay Ryan and all these people and, um, yeah, there was this kind of ridiculous idea that like oh that's how you, that's how
0: you make a living yeah bands bands have famously got tons of money I'm sure that'll work out great no one ever tells you that at foundation do they it's like yeah do that work it looks great it's amazing it's it's all that but just remember you're probably you might just about get paid enough to print it yeah. and not much more than that or you
1: wanted to make um you actually wanted to make like album artwork and that was uh, like I distinctly remember that at Brighton them just being like our tutor saying that is a terrible idea just to just maybe if you did it like 10 years ago but no
0: probably sound advice probably, probably. in hindsight yeah. they <laughs> probably, probably a, kind of yeah the limiting that um, expectation and desire was probably a good thing because um, because that's obviously where we met at Brighton you were the year below me mm-hmm. um, studying graphic design was, was going to Brighton an obvious choice from foundation was it was kind of was it an open day or something or were you recommended Brighton uh,
1: it was very heavily sort of trumped up at foundation. I mean, uh, the, uh, the quality of the course then was like very, it was very well renowned, I think. Um, I think I went to one other open day. I think I went to UE uh, um, and you know, I think I had an offer from there as well. Oh, and, and Falmouth as well. Um, Brighton was just like a nice confluence of things. It, like I really enjoyed the campus and the course seemed really fantastic. And that open day experience was really, really strong. I can remember it still, actually, uh, and also just Brighton as a city because I feel like that's, that's another deciding factor. Like it felt far enough away from home to sort of be like staking a claim on on my independence. Um, yeah, it just it felt it felt correct. It felt good and exciting.
0: And what do you um, what are your kind of memories of of? the work you were creating while at Brighton or, or maybe the way in which your work changed or, because I, I always remember seeing your work and probably more so in third year as you graduated. It was a very illustrative approach to graphic design. I think that's one of the great things about Brighton is it wasn't, and obviously I think it suits some people more than others, but it seemed to kind of, it embraced a, the outcome didn't have to be hugely commercial or it was quite free in that sense. But I think there are a number of, um, you in your year who kind of also were part of Evening Tweed which was a collective that you set up yeah. during that time but what, what do you kind of remember about that work and how you kind of how your work developed in those three years I mostly remember that it was dreadful
1: uh, <laughs> yeah I mean first year is just sort of a wash really I mean it's you're just sort of it's like growing into your own body it's like a weird form of it's like extra puberty when you've already done puberty <laughs> Uh, God, that was not enough. People describe it like that. Let's edit that out. Maybe let's <laughs> maybe just yeah, let's replace that with something that sounds really incisive and good. Um, no, I mean, yeah, first year was you're just sort of finding your way, and you. Do, I mean, like I said, in foundation, I'd only just sort of got to the sense of like, oh, this is what graphic design is, and even that was a bit, you know, like I said, a bit rudimentary. Um, so, and a lot of those, a lot of those early, early projects were about sort of pushing you into corners and being like, you know understand typography and just like it's not gonna be fun it's gonna it's gonna you know push you and, and it might be kind of dull but um you'll come out of it with like a, a you know a more sort of rigorous knowledge um and then it got it it did get more illustrative and i think that was what i loved about brighton was that even though illustration and design were separate courses they shared that same studio uh, or shared a studio every single year and i think consequently that left a lot of the designers who graduated with if not illustrative sensibilities, then illustrative aspirations, definitely. Um, I don't know if it worked the other way. I'm not sure if there are any illustrators just dying to work with type or like. I don't think it did.
0: No, I don't think it did. And yeah, I wonder kind of the, the rationale for that. Because it's someone like Owen Gildersleeve, yeah. who you graduated with, who was also graphic design, mm-hmm. is now a, a very successful illustrator. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that kind of um, maybe the grounding And like you say, those sensibilities that maybe graphic design teaches you, but the way in which they actually uh, manifest in your work. Um, Are there either specific projects at Brighton or things that you still kind of look at quite fondly as kind of like, actually, I knew that I was on the right path or track or the work that you were creating, did it give you a feeling of going, yeah, actually, this is kind of what I want to make?
1: Yeah, there were a couple. Um, And I think they were both in third year. Uh, so one of them. Uh, so one of the other designers at the time, who I was always kind of very obsessed with, was uh, Nicholas Felton, uh, Feltron, um, and uh, as I think probably a lot of people were at that point. Um, and one of the pieces that was, you know, obviously borrowing heavily from from his uh, his, his aesthetic was, you know, a big statistical sort of uh, poster of um, this album "Destroys Rubies" by Destroyer, uh, and. That, that one was personally significant because it was something, it was it was extraordinarily personal and took a, a great deal of sort of time and consideration. Uh, but then it was also the first time I put something up online that seemed to garner kind of interest. And, uh, you know, I made a run of those prints and sold them. And it was my first taste of, of watching what um, an online community can do for a career, the career of a, of a designer. I mean, this was you know, I should really know what state Instagram was in at that year, but maybe uh, probably
0: non non-existent.
1: Pro- probably non-existent. So yeah, there wasn't the the channels that people were sharing work through online were
0: their own portfolio websites or MySpace. MySpace my was my space. big, big back then. Although yeah. maybe in your third year, just maybe it was just on the way out. But Facebook, obviously, weirdly, is just. I think it's starting to become much more in the mainstream of, and it kind of. Um, not an accepted social media, just the social media. And but I don't know whether or not then it was was a case of showing work necessarily or more kind of like status updates. I don't think
1: so. I don't think work was a huge uh, because like the concept of pages on on Facebook I, at that point. Again, this is probably something I should know, but like was certainly not to the level that it is now. Like illustrators and and designers and people yeah. tend to have you know like if not like fan pages, but they they publicize
0: work through that channel as well. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, illustrators that probably just accepted a whole lot of friend requests and then it was like oh shit what do I do now because I don't necessarily want to share certain stuff with all these people but that I think that was almost borrowed from that Myspace mentality of like friends was almost seen as like a uh, uh, like a currency I have more friends therefore I'm more popular yeah Um, and
1: that still survives like on Instagram now you yeah, it's a shame. Like I if, if there's one thing that I dislike about this current or the this culture of, of sharing stuff online, um, particularly in design illustration, it's, it's, it's strange how much those numbers mean to people. Uh, and it can be quite damaging when you're just concentrating on those numbers. And also quite disheartening because if you don't have them immediately or if you don't have them and you're trying, you know, everything that is possible and you're still not gaining them, then it, it can be unnecessarily, I don't know, it's been, it's like, Giving up before you've even tried and yeah. it's not like that's the only metric of success but um
0: someone said to me recently that um they thought more often than not the people that have the most private lives yeah. often have the most interesting lives <laughs> and there was something about it that hit me and it was like yeah you know what there's a certain amount of that that's probably quite true and that's not to say to not use social media but it's not to just open the floodgates and just just share it's. I, there was something about it, and it, it made me think. The, a few of the people they gave examples of. I was like, Yeah, actually, do you know what? That's prob- probably <laughs> onto something. Yeah. Um, because also because it's it's worth um, very much mentioning and celebrating. You um developed the first version of it's nice that <laughs> while a second year graphic design student. Yeah. And you are largely responsible for us getting off the ground and actually kind of um having an online presence. You're also building. Mm-hmm. How did kind of because um, it's almost with amazing foresight of like well hang on this is a a good skill to have and <laughs> a grounding and to be able to have those kind of outlets and stuff how did you get into that because it-
1: where did that come from I think back in the, this is a deep cut of sort of internet history but like I was building you know like homestead sites back when homestead existed and and you know of the caliber of like Geocities Angel Fire that sort of stuff and Started just kind of learning bits and pieces of HTML and CSS and um, not to do anything remotely interesting. It was just sort of mucking about. Um, And then I had a personal site, which I kept up. And thankfully, those have all died.
0: Uh, (laughs) No, what's that great? uh, There's that great site, isn't there, that revives? Oh, archive.org. Yeah, that obviously just took enough snapshots of... It's pretty hit and miss, especially yeah, 2007. It's, it's, Maybe we should look that up. No, let's not. <laughs> let's
1: not. It's thankfully mostly miss you know, where my <laughs> old personal sites are concerned. But but that was probably the, the groundwork for that. And then um, and it, yeah, it just came in very useful when I was building the, the Evening Tweed site, and and it's nice there as well. And um, yeah, that was yeah, I kind of kind of forgot about all of that stuff, or I take it a little bit for granted, just because I never. It's not something that I certainly no expert in it, but it was a useful tool there for a while
0: and you I mean you built stuff that was robust it wasn't it didn't feel like it was kind of rough around the edges it was no. always like yeah cool let's get on with this yeah we spent many hours in that bedroom just uh oh that's, that's like, a that weird large. edit that's okay. hold on
1: <laughs> steady on but yeah moving things to within a pixels oh, okay never mind I was diligent is what I'm trying to say <laughs>
0: um it was very diligent yeah yeah so you come to the end of third year studying graphic design mm-hmm. can you remember what you what you envisaged doing was there an obvious kind of um uh springboard to go right here i am this is what i'm gonna go and do not at all no i i remember just terror basically <laughs> because
1: you're given a lot in you you know <laughs> you know how to set a baseline you know how to do these things but you don't there was there was never any like uh that's, that's unfair there was scant industry sort of guidance like none of us knew how to price anything none of us knew how to uh you know approach you know all of the like amazing magazines and, and newspapers that we wanted to work with we just vaguely understood the idea of self-promotion oh that's fine yeah great done um oh and you, you want to price things oh there's some like a nebulous like online list where you can just you have to have a membership and then they'll tell you what it is and it was it was a mystery it was a total mystery um what helped was um, oh and the, and the other thing was like because there's two things is having a professional career and there's also this sort of like blossoming cocoon thing that happens at the end of university like am I going to stay here am I going to move and the, the overall sort of fear that I had at that point was like I don't really want to move to London it feels like an inevitability that I have to and that I have to be a junior designer I'm going to be making a lot of tea and then I'll maybe it'll improve and it was just it wasn't it was just unclear and I didn't know um and plus at that point I wanted to do more illustration anyway so it didn't that didn't really make sense as a route for me um uh yeah so the the site was up and our directors were already looking at it and I think it was a few months before we graduated I had a um it was basically one of my first commissions and it was a recurring spot in the New York Times for I think three months on a you know, like a health and wellness column. I mean, that's not a bad kind of first commission. I mean, it felt like insanity to me to be doing that, but it was—it was really bol- it really bolstered me. It was like, oh, I, well, maybe this is fine. Maybe I can do this. And and I, you know, we left and everybody basically moved to London, and I moved to Edinburgh because my my then girlfriend was living there, and um, and it seemed to work out. Like all of us got sort of our own personal sites and started just making more work and getting more commissions. And you know the quality of the work was variable, but um, it was there was uh, you know there was there was there was stuff happening and it was getting updated fairly regularly. Um,
0: and do you think? I mean, the New York Times kind of it is. Um, it's an amazing first client, but in terms of the rate that they are offering, presumably because they're so established, it was like. Here's the job, this is the fee. There wasn't necessarily that much negotiation at that stage. No, or,
1: no. And I didn't feel that. I was like, I just graduated. I'm not going
0: to be like <laughs> No. I think we're going we're to make that number a little bigger. Yeah, no, that was never going to happen. Let but, me put you onto my agent and just change the phone <laughs> yeah. from your right ear to your left <laughs> ear yeah. Hello. Um, but uh, what about the process? I mean, what about the actual kind of um the nuances of going, right, here's the article, this is what I'm thinking. I mean, how long did that? take that was scary because
1: i mean this was this was editorial illustration this was not something that i had been that i had been taught i was i felt kind of a bit of a fraud i felt like a lot of a lot of a fraud um to be honest <laughs> uh, and also you know the new york times turnaround is is super quick so you would get an article about something like oh, I don't know ibs or something really really good uh rabies was one i remember once um and you just you interpret it and you send sketches and you, I just kind of muddled through with, without sort of hopefully without letting them know that like oh I'm very junior at this but you've, you've asked me and you have, you have enough faith to commission me for it um, and it, it did a lot for my sense of my sense of self-worth and my kind of like confidence in myself I'm like oh I've just done three, three months for a New York Times column it's like I mean now uh, I feel like art directors are way more savvy and way more um, they know where to look, and they they really not to say the art, the art director that hired me. We had no idea what they were <laughs> talking about.
0: But I mean, that's but I do think even just kind of reading between the lines, you kind of to have a website up that shows the work, that shows simple things, contact details. You can you can appear to be a a more established um, creative than as you said, like fresh fresh out of uni and kind of going just going to muddle my way through here and hope yeah. it's there is that opportunity to um set a tone as to who you are and what yeah. you're about and the kind of work that you want to create
1: yeah definitely um i think that, like what i had at that point which was the website that got updated and you know a little like news blog or whatever it was like that was that the the tone and the sort of the um what that presented to the world is kind of what I see Instagram t- accounts doing now. It's like, you just have this steady stream of new work and it's like, Oh, it's for So-and-so client. And here it is. And, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't see a lot of, I don't look at a lot of portfolio websites anymore. I'm not sure whether it's still, they're valid. Like our directors are still looking at them. Um, but you know, there are, there are other surfaces that people are immediately go to, like they're going to Instagram or if, if it's, you know, it possibly they're looking at dribble or Behance or any of these other
0: networks. But, um, It's weird when you talk about the size of people's audiences, it's weird how occasionally you can I don't know if this is necessarily the case, but you can see the attraction of hiring a illustrator who's got a hundred thousand followers, who's gonna share the work, talk about your publication, talk about and it's it's almost that kind of dog chasing its tail of kind of what are we actually doing this for? Yeah. But I but I think it's super interesting and I I'm uh we're gonna take a short break, but I'm keen to when we come back to talk about that transition from doing that work to being at Facebook and, and everything that move that moving out to the US um, and everything that goes with that. So join us after this short break. Thanks for listening. I just wanted to take this quick opportunity to tell you a little bit more about Lecture in Progress. Lecture in Progress is a resource to help the next generation of creatives make better career decisions by inspiring and informing them of the breadth of opportunities that exist in the creative industry. Aware that the gap between education and industry is only widening, Lecture in Progress will help demystify the creative world we work in. We'll explain everything from the huge range of jobs that exist, how people got into the industry and how much you can expect to get paid, right through to how a project comes together and taking a look into the studios and workplaces in which they happen. We see Lecture-in-Progress being funded through annual membership, largely made up of current students and recent graduates. We're aiming to build a relationship with these members as the site grows and develops over the next 12 months and we want to make sure that we deliver the content that they will find most useful and that can't be found anywhere else. Members to Lecture-in-Progress will get full access to the website and archive, become part of a network of like-minded individuals, they'll receive member-only offers and promotions and invitations to events, They'll also have the opportunity to apply for funding for creative projects. They'll be invited to studio visits as well as entry to our annual awards program. Please do check out the first version of the website at lectureinprogress.com. There we've put together a number of articles and resources that best demonstrate what we plan to do. You can also find a link to the Kickstarter campaign that will be running throughout October. We've tried to make it as simple as possible to get behind the project and hope you'll like the rewards we've made, many of which are only available on Kickstarter. Please do back the project and all being well, we'll be back on the 1st of January 2017. Back to the interview. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm with Jez Burrows and before the break, uh, Jez was talking about the year kind of um, first out of uni and trying to kind of establish as an illustrator, uh, moved up to Edinburgh. I kind of, I I very much in this half want to talk about the Facebook and living in the US side of things. Mm -hmm. Where does... The first contact from Facebook come from? How out the blue was it? Was it something from a specific piece of work? How mm-hmm. how did that happen?
1: Uh, it was completely out of the blue. Um, I had been in Edinburgh for three years at that point, um, just working independently um, to design an illustration and uh, I got an email. I was sat on the sofa and I got an email and I thought it was a joke because it was <laughs> an email address that was like at fb.com. We are like, oh good, funny, good, nice, okay. <laughs> And it was a very brief email. Whoever was was, doing
0: that joke, a lot of groundwork. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, They spent a lot of time and money. Uh, But it was a brief email. It's just, would you be interested in talking to us about a position? Um, And I think at that stage in my sort of freelance career, I'd gotten, I felt a little bit stale. Um, And it also just felt so insane to just not investigate it at all. Like who else is getting that opportunity at that point? Like, So I go over there and I experience it and
0: I see that it's not Hang on, hang on. We've got to rewind to the reply. So how long after, it's (laughs) like when a girl texts you and you're you're 15. It's like, how long do you leave it? How kind of, how how much consideration did you put into that reply? or Did you see it as just, let's just start a conversation see what happens? It was very much just starting a conversation. I mean, the first
1: thing, the first line of that was like, you know I live in Edinburgh. Don't you? Okay, good. All right, fine. All right. I'm just trying to feel out like, you know, you'd have to fly. Oh, okay, <laughs> good. Um, it, yeah, but so what I didn't know at the time, so the reason, or it's changed substantially since I've been there. Um, but the way that they used to, the design team was at such a scale at that point that they would just share portfolio links around them and just sort of uh, say, this, this is interesting. This one's got, you know, good skills in certain areas. And the designer who brought me up, who referred me, was actually one who had seen that Destroyer poster that I mentioned earlier. Um, and him and a few of his friends uh, uh, had known about my work when they were studying. Um, and he brought it up, and that's that's how the email came along. And it, again, it was literally just because the work was out there, it was on the site, and there was contact details, and um, that, that was literally, that was it. Um, so you get on a plane. I get
0: they, on a they're plane. They're like, "Yep, yeah, cool, we'll fly you out. Let's have a chat.
1: Yeah. Let's meet you in person. Yeah, fly out for an interview. It's, it's a whole day. Uh, I'm in a, I'm in like a, a hotel in, in Palo Alto because that's where the, the office was at the time. Completely bewildered. I've made this presentation and I'm very worried because a lot of the presentation is not product design. It's not, it's not web design work. So, um, you know, I've got sort of like branding stuff and identity and illustration and and I'm kind of bewildered that they still want to talk to me, um, but it goes really well and. Um, and they—it turns out that I was being interviewed. So there's at that point there was the product design team, and there were the communication design team, which has, you know, become sort of marketing and, and what is called the factory. Um, and there were roles going on both of those teams. So I spoke to both people, um, but just the need on product, I believe, the need on product at that at that time was 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 stronger. Um, and as part of the application process, they gave me sort of like a you know a design sort of problem. Um, you know, like redesign. I don't think they've done this for years, but I think it was just like, here's the se- here's the settings page on desktop, like redesign this and show your rationale for it. Um, and I did that and I sent it back. Um, this was before the interview. This, this was before yeah. the interview. Yeah. I mean, it had been, so it had been established like date and stuff, but it was like, let's do this. Um, and, uh, and then I presented that like at the, at the actual, uh, after I'd gone through my work as well. And, That was of a standard that they thought was promising enough to be like well let's take a chance on someone who has a more traditionally sort of print background and put them on the product design team Um, which i think is something that subsequently they've become more more relaxed with i feel like the first you know 10 20 designers at facebook were they knew how to code they knew they knew how to to work the code base in you know, no problem. And I had I had no sense of that, that. Did was that right ever there.
0: come up about the your knowledge of working with Codebase? Yeah, and- I mentioned it several times.
1: <laughs> just to be a hundred percent clear, like I have no idea. Like, it, like, do you want to see some old GeoCity sites? Like that's that's <laughs> about the caliber that you're dealing with. And they 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 just said no. Like with like the your, this, your site yourself, your portfolio site is is impressive and seems like thoughtfully designed in ways that we don't see from other. Um, other print designers I think this is kind of what they were saying to me but um,
0: but yeah that's that's where I that's where I ended up and and you're kind of did you get a sense at the end of that that trip that day's yeah. worth of interview of kind of had gone did you kind of did you leave going oh yeah actually this is something that I could entertain or kind of were you there just to for an experience I mean we and because we've heard from other people that get um british designers who get approached by us firms they almost see it as like a look they're gonna pay my airfare they're gonna put me up i might just as well go out and see them or did you kind of or did you have a desire then of going ah shit this is something that actually is really attractive and something i really want to do there
1: was but it was it was because it was so unknown like i literally didn't wasn't really sure what the like I knew vaguely what the position was, but I didn't know the day-to-day of what it would be and what I, I would be working on. So really it was, there was a possibility that actually the position would be really interesting and would be, I think at that point, I was looking for something that was seemed challenging and outside of my wheelhouse. And I'd been doing a lot of editorial illustration and getting progressively more sort of down in the dumps about it and wanted to do something that felt, uh, that felt more current, that felt like... If it went well, it would be a good foundation for for other things, Um, and so yeah, it it felt strange to to not at least meet them halfway and be like and find out what it was actually going to entail. Um, And then I got there, and then obviously you know, um, it's a very not romantic's not the word, but like when you step into the office, like I feel like it it's become very popularized now. People know what the internal gubbins of that office looks like, and it's been in films and it's been dramatised, and but at that stage I wasn't really familiar with it. So you walk in and there's all these incredibly handsome, like beautiful, friendly, talented people, and you're like, and you feel like a troll, <laughs> and and <laughs> that was that was my main feeling. Um, but it, it it felt like something exciting to be a part of, at least. Um, but I think I came away thinking. That you know, they everyone was nice, and, and and it, you know, I didn't you know fluff things too badly, but um, but I, I just don't think that I'm
0: what they're looking for. I don't think I have the skill set. So how soon after that uh, that interview, how how fast did things move from there, and, and the conversation picked up to actually offering you? It's I struggle to remember the timeline, but I think it was a couple of
1: maybe a week or two uh, when they reached out again and, and made an offer. And I, I definitely don't recall how long it took me to make a decision um, because it involved a lot of things. It was, that was the, that was the great unknown as well. It was like this, it, like I had wanted to, to live in San Francisco and in the Bay area since uh, we visited with Brighton in 2007. Tommy's Joint.
0: And Tommy's Joint, which I've since Do you frequent <laughs> Tommy's <is> Joint now? <laughs> I weirdly, I saw it, it was on a Vice Munches thing. I sent it, I was like, I sent it to Lawrence. I was like, Tommy's Joint. <laughs> The place, which was weird because <laughs> it is it is quite well known, but we just went as um, maybe not everyone was 21, but yeah. we definitely had a good kind of last night in San Francisco on that study trip.
1: Yeah, that place is an institution I've now discovered. Um, and also the hotel that we stayed in has now burnt down. <laughs> so, wow. But, um, well, well, yeah, so in, in that trip, I f- completely fell in love with that city and um, there was a part of me that... W- couldn't believe that this was a, a potential like living there was now a possibility thanks to this job. Um, so yeah, as I say, I, I it took, it took a long time to figure out what was going to happen because it involved a lot of upheaval in, in my life and the, the lives of people around me as well. Um, you know, being three years in Edinburgh was enough to kind of like get that that group around you, that kind of like that circle of friends and that way of living. And this was just, a complete sea change so it was it was quite terrifying um and then once i had ex- accepted um uh there was quite a lot of time waiting for sort of the visa the h1 to turn around which c- it can be a little bit arduous but um i ended up moving out there i think it was possibly a, roughly a year to when they had first re- uh, reached out there was a good sort of six to eight months where it was like waiting for that visa stuff to turn around um and then i Went there November 2000,
0: the end of 2011. Um, And I've been there ever since. And what, I mean, it's funny you use the word kind of the romantic. um, That's not quite the right word. (laughs) No, I know, but it's, it really, there's something about it that is just
1: very compelling and strange and and, um, different.
0: But what's the, what what I'm interested in is that reality of anywhere that you visit for a week on a study trip or... You can get caught up in it, and everything's busy because it's it's. You want to make the most of being there for the week. What's yeah. what's the actual reality like? Of you've got the job, um, you've got the visa, you fly out there. Yeah, presumably on a kind of one way ticket, and it's yeah. like right here, here we go. <laughs> yeah. What's the actual reality of? Right shit. This is this is where I'm going to call home for the foreseeable future kind of how daunting is that and what is there a kind of any advice that you'd you'd give to people who are thinking of doing the same yeah of it's not I mean what's interesting is growing up in Devon university in three years at Brighton yeah. then up in Edinburgh for three years so you're going to I mean Edinburgh especially is a bigger city and you're you're relocating there yeah but the other side of it's not the other side of the world is it? it's halfway around Close the world enough. it's it's like there you are what is the reality of that how daunting as a what would you have been 25 26 yeah of landing there and going right let's let's get on
1: it was incredibly daunting in just all areas like the work was work that i wasn't not not prepared for but it was something that was brand new but people had taken a chance and believed that i had sort of potential to like fill out that role quite well um so that joining that team and there were people on that team that i was i was aware of their work and i was just terrified because i was you know, I'm clearly not at that level and won't be for, I don't know, insert mystery amount of time. <laughs> um, so that that was daunting. Um, but just the strangeness of moving to a brand new place you have left, you move away from everybody you sort of know and love and that. I won't lie, like that first year was really quite tough. Um, just quite lonely. I mean, it's a weird thing to be in such a beautiful city and... And to feel, to feel anything but, but sort of, you know, glorious and happy all the time. Particularly because it was a place that I'd wanted to be for a for a, ever since 2007. So, yeah, that first year took a while. Um, but what actually ended up happening uh, was I moved away from the product team, um, and I joined uh, another internal team called the the Analog Research Lab, um, and that was started by a couple of the earliest designers. Um, Ben Barry and, and Eric take back. And it was it was strange. It was like walking into a workshop at at Brighton again. It's it you know, it's like an internal print shop. You walk in and there's screen printing and there's letterpress and there's it just smells like art school again. And it was it that was the captivating thing. And I walked in there and I could or I could sense it immediately. It's like, oh, this makes so much sense.
0: Um, and was that something that, again, was that something that you were you were kind of um internally identified as someone suitable for that team or did you kind of stuck your hand up and gone yep yeah, I'd be quite up for doing that I think at
1: that point it had just sort of been uh, Ben and Everett and uh, another designer Tim Bolognick, sort of in in part then it, when they moved to the new campus in, in Menlo Park which is a lot bigger than the old Palo, Palo Alto campus it became more legitimised it had a space on you know there right there with a the garage door and it was huge and it, there was an allowance for it in the architecture so uh, And there was a position opening up, and I was aware of it. And I think I'd just gotten to the point on the product design team where it was—I was—I was was struggling. I think. Um, And designers on that team subsequently have told me that, like, that's—it wasn't really—it didn't seem like a struggle to them. Like, they felt like if I'd continued with it, it it would have—you know—it's just—it's a learning. It's a learning process, um, but this this was romance, like this other position, um, because just the just the absurdity of there being like a print shop in a, in one of the biggest tech companies in the world. It's just how does that that feels like magic? That feels <laughs> like a complete
0: impossibility. And why would you not take? take that opportunity. Because so. I'm also right in thinking that when you when you get out to um, San Francisco and Facebook, it, it's actually, it's your first experience of a nine to five. It's your, it's your first experience of a kind of structured, right, I'm going to work and yeah. I'm part of a bigger team. Before that, you were an independent, soul, creative, working to brief and communicate with people on email and everything else. Yeah. Was that a culture shock? Definitely. I mean, it's still,
1: it's the only company that I've ever worked at. You know, apart from washing dishes in a pub, and this doesn't really count. Still counts, Jess. Still, still counts. counts, yeah. Still right. counts, yeah. Um, it, and that is absurd in itself to be the like the only like big sort of tech company that you've ever worked for happens to be Facebook. Um, and of course, it's a culture shock. It's it's a it's a complete everything about it is different. Um, so, I, I to be honest, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't just throw myself into the ocean because it seems like there was a lot of <laughs> things that's, that's all right that's a bit wow melodram- that's a bit it's a bit <laughs> melodramatic but it was just so I'm many th- glad you did it no that would um, been i'm a i have a weeks when um <laughs> uh but so many things were different and it,
0: it like i said the first year was was tricky um so is that a gradual thing that you start to come out of or was there a moment where it just kind of clicked and you went actually it's i mean th- again it's i I'm I'm really interested in your own personal experience, but I'm also kind of interested in the the advice to people doing the same thing. Is that it is that kind of either a sense of homesick or just being out of your depth and trying to and and also you go somewhere where I guess in the first instance your friends are your colleagues, so actually yeah, it's it's quite difficult to establish a new friend group and to yeah. work at it. It's, kind of like being first day of school where it's like right Please. shit who am i having lunch with where yeah. do i are these good people to hang out with or are these not the right people it's like how kind of what, what's the sense that you get from other people that are kind of thrown in at I, the deep end i think your mileage will
1: definitely vary like it's a it's a matter of sort of personal fortitude like a, people listening to this might be a lot stronger in that sense and they you know this was the first time i'd lived away from home like like not No, it's not. But substantially away from (laughs) home, like 5,000 miles away from home. Yeah, not being able to get on a train and be home tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, And I suffered with that. You might not. Um, The job that I was doing was pretty different to what I had given myself a lot of confidence in. Yours might not be. Um, if If you can minimize the amount of things that are like wildly alien, then I think that experience will probably work out better for you. For me personally, basically everything had changed. And it was just trying to find normality, and um, and when I switched to this other job, that was like I said, that was that was in print, and it was it was back to design and illustration in a non digital sense, and it was like, oh, I know I know what I'm doing now, like I or I feel I feel like I have uh, like the area knowledge to like to speak with some degree of confidence in what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I. My, the position that I was hired for, and that those those, those circumstances feel very unique, um, you know, um, I see a lot of people. There are, for some reason, there's a lot of British creatives that get hired. At Apple, like Apple, has a massive, yeah, a load of like British expats, um, and generally they are, they are hired, seemingly at least the ones I'm aware of are hired for jobs that like they've been doing they like they, they the work in their portfolio and the places they've been previously makes sense for that
0: so what's how what's the kind of what's the dynamic at facebook is it predominantly us uh no. creatives or it's, it's people from all
1: over the world it's extraordinarily um well it is more diverse than i expected i thought i mean i i had no idea what to expect but i expected generally us um but there are there are honestly people from from every corner of of the world there. Uh, And you find out less that a company of that scale, they don't really, I mean, visa sort of mechanics aside, because, you know, you can only have so many H1s and all this kind of stuff. Um, As long as you are the right person that fits, like they will, they will bring you there because you are correct. It's not because it's not a problem that you live in X country or Y country. Like if you are right and you seem like you're the, you know, you're the right person for the job, like they'll, they'll make an offer and they'll make it happen um it's just you know it's one of the benefits of being that size
0: yeah definitely and also it's it's i think it's exciting for uh people to go and work there i think it's undeniable it's like it works both ways so what is the kind of is there a big british contingent out there or it's it's no bigger than um any other outside of the u.s uh i mean with
1: my sort of limited experience of the u.s um there definitely seems to be a, a quite a sizable British community in San Francisco. Um, yeah, and they're, they're predominantly
0: working at 10 companies and they've been flown over. Um, Is there something specific that you think kind of um, British creatives have that done? Even from your own experience at Facebook, do you do you either see yourself approaching things differently? or Because I, I, I wonder whether or not it's something that we almost take for granted. Yeah. And it's like people will happily have a go at creative education and stuff. But is there just a grounding or a sensibility or a, a way of talking and communicating and, and that just makes British creatives attractive? Or I, I is wish. it just that Johnny Ive has kind of set a tone of going, hang on, let's just
1: get someone British? He's written a personal letter. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there is. I'd like to say that it's that simple, but I think it's, it's honestly just a matter of like, do you... It's not just because you're British. There's not just like something inherently available in British designers and It's like, not the tweed suit, cup of not. tea and a kind of... <laughs> well I was smoking a pipe throughout my presentation <laughs> I think I just really won them over. Excellent um, Yeah but no I don't I, I think that I mean speaking I can only speak to sort of Facebook's hiring to a certain degree but they really appreciate when they're looking for designers they really appreciate diverse perspectives and they if in fact if they're hiring if they're looking to hire you the fact that you would have a, um, a differing approach that is kind of that contrasts very well uh, with, you know, people who are already on the team, then that's going to be a, that's going to be a bonus. Um, because when you're designing for, you know, the uh, the kind of audience that you are designing for at, at Facebook, you need to have, you can't just have everybody thinking exactly the same way. You need to, as many diverse perspectives as possible. Um, that makes
0: sense. You know. How do you think you've developed as a designer in the last five years? And, and how do you think how do you think that's happened? Has it been influenced from your peers or kind of how do you, if you were to look at the work you're doing as you joined and the yeah. way you work now, how, how has it changed? How have you developed? Uh, there's, there's a
1: confidence there that definitely wasn't there in the first year. Um, and there is a, um, I feel, I feel like I just have a better vocabulary in expressing decisions and justifying things and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of critique that goes on over there um, and as it should be. And, you know, the more critique you do, the better, to be honest. I feel, I, I feel like that's true. Um, so, yeah, I think I've just, I've just definitely got, uh, I think I was quite meek when I went <laughs> over there. And I think that's, that's come away slightly. Um, but then what's also interesting is that I've tried to keep up doing freelance work as much as I can on the outskirts as well um and that work i think has gotten
0: i don't know more honest and more interesting and uh, i'm interested in that because i I wanted to talk to you briefly about the side projects but you are taking commercial um commissions as well now and again it's really (laughs) there was a thing i went over there
1: and my plan was right i'm gonna have this nine to five job and then at night i'm gonna come home and just work on commercial (laughs) illustration i'm like this is a fantastic <laughs> idea and no it's not because you get home and you're knackered you do know,
0: the last thing you want to do is go through like three rounds with an art director and then just like have no sleep what is the 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 culture at Facebook do you tend to finish consistently at the same time or is it late or is it it's it's really there's a lot of trust in employees there it's it's not
1: very it depending on your role i feel like design my sense is that if you are making meetings that you need to make and if you are um you know, creating the work that you need to create and doing it on time, then you should be coming in at a time that suits you. Um, you know, if you're a product manager, if you're someone who's working kind of on a more sort of like strict schedule or an engineer, like that's, it's going to change. Um, but it, it's very generous and it's very, as, as I said, there's a lot of trust give, put in all the employees in terms of, um, you know, when you are working. And also, you know, it's a it's a very wide range of of ages that are working there you know people have kids and um and then you know there are interns who are you know barely sort of like fetal growth and they can just (laughs) they can stay there until one in the morning and then go home and then come in at like two the next afternoon but they're
0: just i'm definitely jealous of that um ability there you never take advantage of it when you are that kind of late teen 20 year old (laughs) it's just like yeah of course i'm going to be up until one yeah um so so going back to this kind of um life as a Commercial illustrator on the side. Yeah, that kind of you. You work out that actually the nine to five is is pretty exhausting. So you just do the odd commercial project. Yeah. What about the side projects? Because there, what's so funny is that we always pick up on them. And I don't think that's necessarily just because I've known you since uni. It's there is something about the projects that kind of we are the friction dictionary stories. Uh, even the ten by twenty fifteen last mm-hmm. year what's your, do you have a rationale for them? Is there a kind of, are you doing them for a certain reason or are you just doing them because it's what you enjoy? It's a bit of fun. There's an opportunity because of the way the internet works. There's an outlet for people to see it. What is your kind of motivation for the side projects? I think there's a few different
1: things. I mean, so Dictionary Stories is 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 a writing project and that's not something that I ever do in my day-to-day and it's something that obviously I've done other sort of, you know, projects working with fiction in the past and I've always loved it and I've always wanted to do more of it. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's filling a hole that work, work work is not giving me. That generally is probably the biggest motivation for it. I think it's telling that while I was at the analog lab and I was doing work that was pretty close to what I would do, be doing in my in my spare time in terms of aesthetically and sort of format wise, I was making screen prints. Um, I, I did less at, at night because... That itch was being scratched during the day, but now I'm on this this different team, which is much, much less familiar, or much less. Uh, it's not very similar to my style, you know, and that's that's actually enormously freeing, and it means that I can go home now and it's like, well, what what is fun to me? What do I really want to spend my time on and create? And that's what these these projects are. Um,
0: For anyone that doesn't know Dictionary Stories, what is I could try and kind of muddle (laughs) something together but
1: what's the succinct kind of it's uh dictionary stories are stories that i've been writing um and they're composed entirely of uh example sentences from the dictionary so um not the definitions just the the sentence that comes after that kind of demonstrates how it might be used uh so it's yeah it's uh, like kind of like a fiction sort of like jigsaw puzzle and they're very short stories they're sort of between 100 and 200 words um and uh, yeah, it started. Off, I, it, so it started off actually as a zine. I did a there's a an event in San Francisco called SF Zine Fest, and um, I had done a bunch of zine fairs, and I liked that whole community. Like I did that a lot in Edinburgh, and I just wanted a a writer, an idea that revolved around writing to to turn into a zine, and that's what this was. And it, kind of again like that poster like years and years ago, I put it online. People really responded to it in a way that I had no idea was coming. Um, and you know that now is that's my evenings and weekends because that's you know the uh, I found an agent and we're currently talking to a publisher and you know
0: hang on you can't gloss over I found an agent oh, I, I just no. there was this guy that was so, just yeah. <laughs> hanging out and I was like come on so this let's... guy on the street <laughs> and he just he was wearing a t shirt that said agent sorry so you now have a writing agent
1: y- yes that's pretty amazing it is it's really bizarre um, I. That happened because, to sort of demystify that a little bit, uh, um, the writer um, Austin Cleon, who wrote um, Still Like an Artist and, um, and so on, he, it's his agent. And Austin and I have been kind of talking online for quite a few years. He just sent me a message saying, you know, oh, my Ted, my agent, would really be interested in this project. And by the way, he lives in San Francisco. So it was very easy to go and meet Ted and start talking about, you know, maybe working on a book project together. So um, I'm I'm really excited about that. That's something that is enormously sort of sustaining for me because I think not, I don't really have like a bucket list or anything. I don't really have anything quite like that. But I think there was something in me that before I was 30, I wanted to work on a book. Like if it was a novel or if it was a collection of short stories or something. Um, I actually think my, the, if you could, the very, th- first or second if you could yeah second that, yeah one. the second one was i would that was my thing it was i would write a novel
0: can we take the credit for launching yes yes yeah absolutely well job done, done. right yeah, you really saw <laughs> uh, so that will hopefully manifest itself in a in a
1: it seems so yeah i mean book. i'm touching every bit of yeah. wood in sight but um yeah it seems like that is becoming a book um potentially by uh the end of next year so
0: that's incredible yeah i could genuinely chat to you for a lot longer. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we will chat beyond this recording. The, the final question for this um, first series of um, profiles and interviews we're doing is when you look back at your kind of career to date, is there anything that you'd kind of, you look back at and go, I'd have probably done that differently? Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: can you edit out the sort of 10, 20 seconds of silence It's about to be me because <laughs> I have a terrible memory? Um, no, I, d- I, d- I think I would have spent a lot more time uh, exploring different styles, I think, and pushing myself in, you know, I think when you're working on editorial illustration, as I was for, for quite some time, you get kind of in a, in a rut. But it's a good rut because it's like it's the rut that art directors need, and they need you to be dependable and to meet a style. Um, but it doesn't allow for a lot of experimentation. And all of the best things that I've done, or all of the most interesting opportunities that I've had, have come out of experimenting, and um, you know, not having a guaranteed sort of pay payback from it. Um, you know, the the fact that I'm a Facebook is because of that poster basically the fact that i'm having to write a book now is because of that just silly zine that i made um i don't think i would change anything but i would definitely have just done more of it because um i don't know i think the the multitude of opportunities that you never have any idea that will present themselves but if you don't put it out there and if you don't make that effort then they're certainly not just gonna jump out
0: at you That's great. I I listen to it and go. I think your style's good. I like your style. Uh, Maybe you should have studied illustration, Jess. Yeah, maybe maybe. that's maybe uh, to have had three years to develop it there. But hey, I think um, listening to uh, what you've done, what you do, and everything else, I I um, I think it's all great. And like I say, I could happily chat to you for a lot lot longer, but we don't have the time. Uh, Thank you ever so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. A big thanks for listening to this episode of Lecture in Progress. The music and sound for this podcast was produced by the wonderful Zelig Sound. Zelig produced some of the best original music and sound design for commercials, TV and films. Check them out at zeligsound.com. Do check out the rest of the series on the website at lectureinprogress.com. Do follow us on Twitter at Lecture in Prog, for updates. And please do support the Kickstarter. Thanks for listening.